Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have an unusual topic. And uh, probably not an unusual guest. I'm sure he's a very normal normal person. But uh, his name is Jonathan Rogers, assistant professor at Georgia Tech. The thing we're going to be talking about is a little bit unusual. It's a Tarzan swing robot. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Um, would you just give a quick background of who you are and uh, and then we'll talk about your project, your research? Yeah. So I'm a professor here at Georgia Tech. Um, I run a research program that's focused on robotics technologies. My core area of expertise is in uh, modeling and simulation uh, algorithms for analyzing the dynamics of robots and then uh, developing control algorithms for them to operate in, in an autonomous fashion. And one of our core areas of expertise is in the design and prototyping of new robotics mechanisms and technologies that allow us to uh, allow us to deploy mobile robots in kind of non-traditional environments. Interesting. So, yeah. Can we talk about the uh, the Tarzan Swing Robot Project? Yeah. Um, so I can tell you a little bit about that project. Uh, that, that project is sure. focused on agricultural applications. And uh, essentially, the goal is to be able to deploy mobile robots in uh, large farm fields and large agricultural settings where uh, these robots can, they can uh, take measurements of plants, they can tend to plants on an individual basis, they can harvest plants, they can uh, assist farmers in various ways, they can treat plants and so forth. So kind of trying to introduce large-scale automation into agricultural settings. Uh, The Tarzan robot specifically is designed to be able to cover large farm fields by uh, moving along wires that are strung above crop rows. So uh, a farmer would bring wires above crop rows and then deploy this uh, this robot, which would swing along the wires and between them to be able to uh, kind of wander its way throughout large fields. Did you find that that's a really efficient form of movement throughout fields? It sounds like a very uh, unusual way for you know, a robot to move or anyone to move? That's a great question. And our our ability to provide robots with a locomotive capability uh, is, is limited by a couple factors. So let's start with ground robots. Typically, uh, there, are, there are robots, there are autonomous uh, systems that move throughout farm fields, uh, and they look a lot like a tractor with a computer inside it driving it instead of a person. And... Hmm. The reason you, you need a tractor to drive around a farm field is because uh, vehicles with small wheels tend to get stuck. They get stuck in mud or they get tangled in crops, et cetera. So if you want a robot that, that has, that's going to be able to traverse uh, a, a large field without having to have a, ro- a human come constantly pried out of a ditch or get it unstuck out of the mud, you're really looking at uh, an aerial robot. And so there's a lot of people over the past five to 10 years that have been looking at using drones to monitor crops, to treat crops, and to do this kind of persistent surveillance activity. The problem with drones is that uh, many of our drones uh, 
can only fly for about 15 minutes before recharging. Um, and the size of the field you can cover with a system like that is not very big. And if you want to constantly be surveilling crops, um, then, you know, this drone is going to have to constantly be back and forth recharging itself. The other problem with drones is they can't carry a lot of weight, so they're typically limited to only a few pounds. Once you start to go larger than that, you're talking about big systems. They need pilots to fly them. They need FAA certification, and they're not safe to operate near people. So we're stuck in this kind of quandary between ground robots, which are going to have to look like a tractor, or aerial systems, which are really not efficient and effective for a lot of the activities we're looking to do. And that's where we came up with the idea of, of removing ourselves from the barriers of, 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 of ground contact by elevating our system on these wires, which still allows us to locomote relatively efficiently without having to constantly recharge a battery. Makes sense. Are you able to electrify the wires so it constantly provides uh, power to the robot? So that's one option. The, the, the idea there would be to, you know, current flows through the wires and then we can harvest energy from those wires as we're string, as swinging along it. The problem there is that, you know, you're introducing a pretty big infrastructure requirement on the farmer to electrify these wires. Uh, and in a lot of these remote places, you know, the last thing the farmer wants to do is have to provide electrical power throughout the field. So what we focused on instead is using basically just static wires, you know, just the metal wire or nylon wire or even a rope, and then trying to highly optimize the robot's locomotive efficiency. So swinging something like a sloth uses very little energy when swinging between tree branches. Our goal there would be to lower the energy requirement so much that we can use solar panels on the robot to recharge it while it's traveling. It's amazing. It always seems to be nature that is the best teacher for, I mean, in many, many fields. It sounds like you're finding that here. I mean, that's absolutely true, right? If you think about what primates and what sloths try to do, anytime you go near the ground, as especially like a slow-moving animal like a sloth, it's very dangerous. So that's why they like to live in trees. Um, and the problem with living in a tree and eating tree leaves is that they don't have much nutrition. So, um, so being forced to, to survive on a, on a tree leaf diet, you have to move pretty slow and very efficiently. And that's how we came up with this idea is sloths can move very efficiently through this swinging motion. So if we use the same swing motion, maybe we can get some of the results. But like you said, we are definitely not the first people, to, the first, uh, first living things to face this problem. Interesting. Um, I mean, I'm just a layperson, but when it comes to robot locomotion, it seems like robots right now are really clumsy and slow. I mean, what advances have you seen or are you incorporating in robot locomotion? You said that you wanted to harvest plants and swing and do all these kinds of things. I mean, how have you built this robot yet? Is it is it pretty um, elegant or is it clumsy? I mean, what's, uh, I mean, you also talked about tractors just kind of lumbering along. So what's the state of the art in robot locomotion? Well, it depends on what type of locomotion you're talking about. Um, you know, in, in terms of wheel locomotion, uh, you know, you can do quite a lot with wheels until you get to what we call unstructured environment. Wheels, as you know, have problems uh, moving over any object that's, uh, go, you know, of the same order of magnitude as its radius, right? So think of a car tire trying to jump a curb. So uh, wheel locomotion poses significant problems once we get off prepared surfaces. 
legged locomotion is a very promising topic. Um, and you'll see robots out there like the big dog robot. Uh, and these robots are designed to move in unstructured environments. But our ability to move efficiently with legged robots is, is, is at the very, very early stages. So we are still trying to, we're, we're still very early on in, uh, in, in our abilities to even study and then optimize legged robots. Uh, to the point where I do think we'll one day be using them in agricultural applications, but we're nowhere close right now. Um, as we move toward aerial locomotion, well, we can do quite a lot with air vehicles, but but aerial locomotion is only efficient if you're using fixed wings, and uh, that doesn't that doesn't uh, that that's, that's makes the vehicle difficult to operate and, and precludes a lot of times of vertical landing, takeoff, and landing capability. As far as, as, as what we call brachiating robots, and that's actually the, the technical term for our system is a brachiating robot because it swings. This uh, word brachiating essentially means swinging. Brachiating robots have been studied for about 20 years, uh, and so you know, we're pretty familiar with the basics of how to design these systems. We've developed a prototype, and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, you just Google Tarzan the robot, and a bunch of videos will appear. So we have built a prototype. We can get it to swing. Uh, along a wire, um, and we're developing new advancements in these brachiating robots that allow it to move in two dimensions by swinging along a single wire and then between wires, which is something that nobody's ever really done before. But the core technologies control algorithms are available for us to do that. Well, there's there's a swinging part, but what about, um, I don't even know if this falls under brachiating um, motion, but what about hand motion, grasping, manipulating, that kind of thing? What's that motion called? And is that separate on this robot? You know, if it needs to tend to plants or pull them or harvest them. Right. So we we haven't gotten there yet. Um, that's one of my future goals for the system is to explore that whole idea. But the but the idea there is that this robot al- already has two hands. It only needs one hand to stay attached to the wire. So after it moves, it can let go of one hand and swing down and essentially think of a monkey hanging from a tree and using its other hand to grab a banana. <laughs> That's essentially what this robot can do. Uh, and if you go on and you look at some of our videos that we've posted, you know, this robot can, can from, a, a, from a position of just having one hand grabbed onto the wire, it can swing itself back up so it then has two hands connected. Um, and so what we can do is basically swing over top of a plant, disconnect one of the hands, they grab a, 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 you know, a, some sort of a tomato or something like that, what have you, uh, harvest it from a plant, put it in a bucket, and then reattach to the wire and keep moving. Or put maybe put it on a bucket that's carried by the robot, for instance, and then keep moving. So, so how far away do you think it's going to be until you have a complete system that can harvest and swing and do everything? So right now, we are, we're focused at this initial stage on the ability to do data collection. Um, we're partnered with some folks at the University of Georgia that... Uh, that, that uh, that work in this area, what's called rapid throughput phenotyping. And this is a, an experimental agricultural task where they will have a bunch of different breeds of seeds for a certain type of plant, say soybeans, and they plant these soybeans in this experimental research field, and then they test how robust they are to drought. And for instance, so they, they monitor them continuously every few hours over a growing cycle. This is a very labor-intensive process, usually involves these people out there 
many hours a day in the summertime having to inspect these crops at two-hour intervals on an individual plant basis and then grade their performance as far as leaf wilt and these different metrics. So our robot, the first first task we're looking for out of this robot is to automate that process for them and be able to monitor these plants with cameras and infrared sensors and send the data back to a computer for analysis. Um, so once that, that system, we're going to prototype that system in June here in about a month and a half. Um, once we move beyond, once we, we demonstrate the ability to gather data and process data, um, we're then going to move towards the treatment aspects of carrying treatments around with us and targeting plants and administering them. And then from there, hopefully within a year or two years, looking at the grasping idea. So we have a lot of aspects and we have just a very preliminary prototype built. So I think we're going to see, you know, a whole system come together that do all the things that you said probably in about three years. Oh, so what's your ideal future for it? You have a field of a certain size and you have a certain, you know, a few of these robots that tend the fields and, uh, and harvest automatically. Yeah, so I think our our vision here uh, is, is something like this, you know, fields of hundreds and hundreds of acres out in the Midwest, and these wires are strung up at harvest time. And so they're lightweight wires that are just strung up over the field. And then after the field's been seeded, these wire, these robots, say five or six of them, can be deployed for a field of, you know, 500 plus acres, 1,000 acres maybe. And they're constantly wandering around, sending data back to a base station that can be monitored by the farmer. And along with the robotic system, which provides the, the ability to locomote and to provide, to, to, to gather data, at the same time, we're working with researchers at University of Georgia to develop algorithms that can analyze the data. And so the data analysis is a big part of this, too. Um, and as the seeds grow, they're administering, you know, as they find deficiencies in certain areas or treatments or pests, they're administering uh, treatments, uh, you know, in an almost automated way. Uh, and so, say, the farmer can, can, uh, can agree that a treatment is needed in a certain area or can delegate that task to the robot, and then the robots go out and apply it. Uh, and it's, it's on a targeted individual plant basis is the, is the whole idea there. And then as we start to see... Uh, you know, crops and and uh, fruits, vegetables, et cetera, up here. Then, hopefully, these robots can can also carry out the mission of harvesting as well and transporting the harvested products back to a central location where they can be collected. Interesting. Okay. Um, do people want other um, uses for these kind of robots besides the agricultural use? Are you being, being approached by any uh, entities uh, with? You know, ideas for other uses for these kind of robots? Yeah, so one idea that we've thought about, and I'm not sure how practical this is, to be honest, but we've thought about it, is, is locomotion through cities. Again, in, in, a, in a really heavily urban environment, we see problems with deploying robots, and you see this with robots in San Francisco. I think they have these robots that deliver food or packages, and they have to drive along the sidewalk. Um but, you know, deploying mobile robots in, in urban environments is difficult because they tend to get in the way of people. And, you know, they have to be compatible with humans, especially humans that don't know what they're doing and don't trust them. So being able to deploy robots on things like power lines or telephone poles, telephone wires throughout city can, cities can give them a way to locomote without getting in people's ways. 
Um, power line inspection is another big area that, that people have talked to us about. Power line inspection, you know, right now they have thousands upon tens of thousands of miles of power cables in rural areas, especially, that need to be inspected on a regular basis. And um, right now they use manned aircraft to take pictures or video and then analyze the data. But, uh, but you know, one of the potential uses here would be to just deploy this type of system permanently on power cables and just have it provide a constant presence over many, many miles. Even if it's a slow presence, it can operate 24-7 and cover that distance. Okay. Well, very good. Um, any other questions about this, uh, this system I should ask you that, um, that we left out? Well, one of the things that I think comes up a lot is this whole idea of, is, is this kind of technology viable uh, in terms of long-term exposure um, and reliability? And that's one of our big challenges is, um, is you know, ensuring that we build a robotic system that our, our goal here is for a farmer who is not a roboticist and is not a mechanical engineer to be able to just buy one of the, buy five of these systems and, and hook them on some wire somewhere and leave them for an entire three or four or five month growing cycle. We don't develop in our community a lot of mobile robots that survive in outdoor environments and are exposed to the elements 24-7 for months at a time without maintenance or, you know, parts replacement. So I think that's another challenge that we're going to try to address here is how do we build robust weather, uh, weatherproofed mobile robots, um, and how do we ensure that they can be operated by people who don't know anything about robotics? We don't want the person to have to know about robotics. Really? So that seems really tough if they don't know anything to be able to fix these things, you know? Well, and I don't see the person being able to fix them. I don't, I don't see that as our vision here, but our vision is that the person, if they need it fixed, they should always be able to send it to, say, a manufacturer for, for repair. But the idea is the system is reliable, that, that that's a rare event. So making it reliable enough so that it's a rare event and then building in a level of autonomy so that the operator isn't having to, to, to is, is able to give commands at a high level. For instance, have five robots cover this field and not tell all five where to go explicitly, but have them be able to figure it out mm. on. Them. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then I think the other big problem that's facing uh, folks like us who are interested in in deploying automation in an agricultural environment is being able to provide, uh, demonstrate the benefit of gathering data at, at such a precise, uh, uh, such a precise scale. Um, you know. One of the, it, there's a lot of companies and a lot of platforms out there that now offer the ability to gather data about fields and about crop health. But turning that into action and actually being, being able to take that data, automate the processing aspects of it, and provide an actionable uh, result is, I think, the big roadblock or the big barrier to many of these uh, platforms having an impact in agriculture, agriculture right now. So people like me, we love to work on locomotion and mobility because it's fun. But then we also need to worry about how to make sure that the data is useful, especially again for a farmer who doesn't know how to analyze imagery, for instance. I got you. Make it okay. Not only the data make it uh, understandable by lay people, but the control, maybe even um, well, probably not the maintenance, but the control. Does that make sense? Hmm. So for um, companies or individuals that are interested in uh, possibly collaborating with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, just 
email me. Um, my information is on the mechanical engineering website here at Georgia Tech, Jonathan Rogers. Uh, if, if you look me up, uh, it shouldn't be too hard to get a hold of me. So we're always looking for collaborators and people who are interested, uh, people who have ideas about how to make this technology better or more useful. Uh, we're, we know we're we're really looking to to try to make an impact and and uh, and kind of uh, make agriculture a, a, a smoother and uh, a more productive process. Well, very good. Well, we're out of time, but um, I appreciate your time and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yep, thanks, Richard. Appreciate your time. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, 